Uh, glad we could be all be together today and uh, be thinking about the boy Jesus and the temple. So let's pray. Shatter the silence, mighty God, with your glad and glorious greetings. Banish all our fears and give us faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord. If there is anything said from this pulpit that is against your will, let it come to naught and do no harm. But if there is anything said from this pulpit that is according to your will, let it be heard, as if sung by the voice of angels, that hearing we might believe, and believing obey. Amen. So I think that it, uh, it's pretty safe to say that people were, were ready to say goodbye to 2020. Remember last year we were all really ready to say goodbye to 2020. But some are arguing that 2021 was even worse than 2020. And that was before John Madden and Betty White died in the last week of the year. One person said, everyone keeps saying that 20." 21 was the worst year. And I'm saying this with no hyperbole. I cannot tell when 2020 ended and 2021 began. It, had all, it has all been one year. All of it. It's the same year. Luke Mullins, a staff writer for the Washingtonian, writes, 2021 was clearly the worst year. At the end of 2020, there was a palpable sense of hope. The vaccines were on the horizon, the chaos was finally going to end, and of course, for a time, the spring and early summer of 2021, it almost seemed like the crisis had ended, at least for the fully vaccinated. A year later, though, that pre-New Year's hope has evaporated. Instead, a new form of the virus is scrambling holiday plans once again. The end of the year feeling is gloom and dread. And then, the Michigan football game. <laughs> but, even at the end of a rough year, a couple of rough years, we come together and we try, I hope, to imagine what the new year will bring. With, with hopeful anticipation. It's as if we're standing, right, in front of one of those claw crane machines. I love this image. You know the kind of claw crane machine I'm talking about? You see them at every rest stop and arcade and diner and fast food joint. Inside the, the plexiglass box are all kinds of prizes. These prizes are almost worthless. But every kid that walks by is positively desperate for them. They tug on their parents' shirt sleeves and beg for a dollar to manage the crane and push the button. We put in our money and we hope for the best and the crane drops slowly and closes its claw and sometimes it comes up empty, 
Sometimes it snags a toy, tugs it gently, and then drops it back into the pile. I can't say I've ever seen one actually retrieve a prize. We want to believe that 2022 will surprise us, that whatever eluded our grasp in years past will be pulled out of hiding in this one. But there is this sneaky suspicion, I think, and that is alluded to in these earlier writers, that no matter how many dollars we put in, the claw will come up empty. There will be no prize to claim. That we are at the mercy of a rigged game. Just like we try to convince the children each and every time that they plead to try their luck on their way out of friendlies. Hey, it's rigged. We sort of believe that about our lives and about the year ahead. We only have one story of Jesus' childhood in the Bible, and it's here in Luke. And there's no mention of him negotiating with his parents to solicit a vending machine. It's set around the feast of the Passover. And we can safely assume that the celebration had amusements of their own and that Jesus, the child, was charmed by them. After all, he was fully human. And so, if Mary and Joseph were anything like today's parents when the party was over, they were ready to go. So as their Passover obligation had been met, they packed up and headed for home. It was a four or five day trip back to Nazareth, walking 15 or so miles a day, and I'm sure they wanted to beat the traffic. Unfortunately for everyone, it wasn't until three days into the journey that they realized that the boy Jesus, 12 years old at the time, was nowhere to be found. I can imagine that Mary and Joseph fell into the same trap that most of us do, taking for granted that Jesus is right where we expect him to be. And when he isn't, when he isn't where, where they need him, where, where we need him, when they need him, when we need him, they experience this sudden swell of urgency to set off and find him. Maybe we can relate. Can't you just see these parents storming back to Jerusalem? In part, upset with themselves for leaving him behind, but mostly upset with Jesus for wandering off. Why can't Jesus just stay close and stay quiet? How surprised they must have been when they find Jesus not hovering around some game or munching on festival food, but settling in at the temple, listening to teachers, asking questions, offering answers. And then picking up the story in verse 48, we see that when his parents saw him, they were astonished and his mother said to him, child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching for you in great anxiety. And he said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
And when the Greek here for house is translated literally, it actually reads, in the things that are my father's, which is why some translations, uh, in some translations, Jesus says, not house, but did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Think about what Jesus is doing here. Think about all of the many tugs and pulls that he has on his life, the expectations of his family, the consternation of his mother, the thrill of the things that come with childhood. And yet, here he is at 12 years old showing us that God's claim on his life is more important than anything else. God's claim on his life is more important than any other thing. God's claim on his life is more important than any other thing. God's claim on his life is more important than any other thing. God's claim on his life is more important than any other thing. God's claim on his life. God's claim on your life. God's claim on your life is more important than any other thing. He's there showing us that every year is a good year to be about our Father's business. What would happen to our churches if we were to follow suit? Even if everyone else, even if every other church was going in another direction, what would happen to us if we said that over and above everything else, God's claim on our life is the most important thing God's claim on our life as a church is the most important thing, and this is a good year to be about our Father's business. What would happen in our lives if we followed suit, if over and above everything else, we determined our direction by God's claim that is on our lives, that is the most important thing, and that this year is a good year to be about our Father's business. If we put that on our whiteboards and in our phones and on our priority lists, be about our Father's business this year, what does that look like? How does that change us? See, we struggle, and we do this at the beginning of every year especially. We try to find a direction for our year, setting goals. We struggle with, with finding our direction in our lives, don't we? we From a very young age, we struggle with determining the direction in in our lives. I recently read from one parent, he says, my son looks at me from out of nowhere and he says, dad, I want to be a doctor. And I was like, yes, yes. And then he said, or a dinosaur. (laughs) Doctor or a dinosaur. Determining our direction, we're not very good at it. I remember once sitting with a young woman from a church that I was pastoring and she was starting to sense a call to ministry and she wanted to pick my brain about seminaries and ordination requirements. She was in college at the time and hadn't had much traction with her advisor. In fact, the advisor had all kind of suggestions that might make her better money or fit her academic expectations or match her worldview, the advisor's worldview. So while this young woman was, was there to pick my brain, I think she just needed someone to say, you know what, it's okay to feel this way. 
No, even better, it's beautiful to feel this way, to feel like you might want to set your life on a course of being about our Father's business. These kind of people, like her advisor, they exist throughout our lives. Kind of people that we feel like we need to prove ourselves to. We allow their claim on our lives to dictate which direction we're going to go. Not God's claim, their claim. And we believe that if we just follow what they say, we're going to come out better and we're going to have all this prosperity and, and all this makes it very difficult to adjust the direction that we're going, to change our travel plans, our itinerary, based on God's claim on our lives. But that's exactly what Jesus does they're all headed to Nazareth. But he says, above and beyond everything else, I have to be about my father's business. When I left that coffee meeting with that young woman, I felt so energized. She was asking the questions. She was taking the notes. She was making the connections. She was thanking me for my time. She was smiling all the way out the door. But I was inspired. I was inspired by her in the same way that we can all be inspired by the boy Jesus in the temple. Inspired to ask the only real question that is left for us, how in this year, in 2022, will we be about our Father's business? How will God's claim on your life be the thing that drives you in one direction or another. Even if it means you might find yourself separated from your party or your tribe like Jesus did. How will 2022 be defined not by what you claim, but how you have been claimed? Claimed to bring more love into the world. Because our years can never be seen as if we stand outside the claw crane machine pumping in money and time and desperately hoping for some prize to come out. All the while knowing that the odds are stacked against us. That 2021 will run into 2022 and not much will change. That can't be how we look at life as if we're standing outside that machine, hoping for the best. Instead, let us see ourselves not as the one in control, but as the small stuffed toy inside the machine. Imagine yourself there. We are the ones that wait and wait to be plucked up out of the pit, the overcrowdedness of our lives and joined with someone that loves us. And there outside of the box, looking in on us, is our Creator God. And like a small child who wishes for an elusive prize, He is desperate for us. Positively and irrationally desperate. And so, over and over again, he pays the price 
and makes his choice and claims us as his own. If we are honest with ourselves, we know how much we are like those small toys in that claw crane game. We know that the price he paid was far too high for what we are. But it is so good to be claimed. It is so good to know that we are his and he is ours. May this be a year to honor that claim. May it be a year to say good riddance to the cage. Cage of expectations, the cage of self-doubt, the cage of old mistakes, the cage of undue pressure, the cage of abusive relationships, the cage of past sorrow, the cage of forgotten hopes. May it be a year like with Jesus in the temple to be found where you have not been found before, found freed by the love of God to be about something new, to be about something generous, to be about something life-giving, to be about some kind of radical love, to be about our Father's business. Amen.